Welcome to Crawl Space. Hey everyone, in just a minute we're going to roll some audio that we did from a live show from Facebook this week. And we're going to try to do it again next week. Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern is the slot we're going to try to hit again this week. So we'll play a little bit of what we did on the live Facebook Gossip Pod And then the last 15 minutes is a sneak preview from Dr. Lee Meller's podcast, Murder Was the Case. That is a show on the Crawl Space Network. And make sure to click the link in the show notes and check out all the shows on the Crawl Space Network. Thanks a lot for listening. We are back live on the Gossip Pod. What's up? I am Tim, being joined live by Lance remotely. Here we are in our respective places. What's up, Lance? Oh, it feels good. I mean, it almost feels like you and I are in the same room. Almost. Yeah. Well, Lance, as you know, uh, we are here after a wild week in crawlspace media with our shows. And uh, namely the Erica Franilich cases, the disappearance of Erica Franilich. We have been covering that on both shows this week. Pretty wild disappearance and really incredible, um, incredible investigative work by Greg Overacker and Lou Barry. All of which is a testament to private investigations for the missing. This is the first case that P.I.'s for the Missing has taken on, and Lou and Greg are doing this pro bono and uh, at the request of Bruce. So along the way, they're looking into this case. Uh, it's also putting into place all of the factors that um, uh, create the, the workflow of private investigations for the missing. The case comes to us. You and I do a podcast about it. We're connected with family members or friends or journalists or law enforcement. Uh, concurrently, we are working on um, where the investigators are going to focus their attention. Uh, when I say we're, I, I mean the the organization is is figuring that out. So as as they're looking at the Franilich case, all of these factors are falling into place, which is really cool to see private investigations for the missing in action. And it, in a sense, creates a template for future cases. And the Franilich case is super solvable. Well, it is. Um, you know, the, again, these guys have done some incredible work. A lot of that information in those two episodes was never public, has never been public, has only been learned by Greg and Lou in their um, research and investigation. Um, so I think I think it's pretty groundbreaking. And to see the letters that Ricky wrote, their son, Erica and Richard, uh, wrote these letters to his mom's sister, to his aunt, Erica's so uh, aunt, sister. Yep. And they're shocking to read. And well, well, we've seen one of them, and Greg uh, reads part of one in episode two, and it is um, it is quite shocking. And you can read a full a full one of those letters. We posted it on our social pages. Right, the one that was posted is uh, the one where he's writing about his dad and the new wife Sandy. Yeah, I think his new girlfriend. New, yeah, okay, his new girlfriend Sandy. And I mean, there's so many things. I this this one page is all about how he thinks that those two are hiding something in regards to his mom's death. He gives an account of violence and then goes into how he thinks that they're hiding something. And I want to uh, reiterate that Ricky did commit suicide as well, which is incredibly tragic. Yeah, really tragic. And uh, so their son, um, and you know, we we talk about it in 
the episode where where Erica and Richard's son Ricky uh, commit suicide, and there's some gravity, obviously, to the reality that maybe your father did something to make your mother go missing. That's one thing that it could be. Or another thing it could be is your mom left you when you were two years old and didn't want to be a part of your life. That's another option you can choose if you want. And there's a third option, which is because you just gave the scenario of the father doing something that made your mom go missing, or he did something that resulted in her in her death, whether he killed her or forced her to do something. Well, uh, we have heard some some great news from people in the local areas already, just in the past couple of days, um, from from people who live in Vermont who know uh, Richard Franelich and didn't know uh, about his missing wife. Crazy how fast that news traveled. People coming out of the woodwork, listeners saying he lives across the street from me. Yeah, this is this is such a good example of private investigations for the missing in action. The entire process is is being showcased right now. That's exactly right. Yeah, they, these guys have been working this case for months, Lou and Greg. And, you know, we we knew that they were working on the case. We didn't know to what extent we heard Greg and Lou were like, hey, we're getting close. And we're like, oh, great. You know, whenever you want, you know, no pressure. Just let us know. And it happened. It, we finally scheduled it. And it was so much bigger, I think, than what they thought it was going to be. Like, I think, I think the work that they had done, you know, they've lived with it for a while, obviously where we were just hearing it for the first time. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. And it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's incredible because in the beginning it didn't feel, it didn't feel necessarily real because everything that we look into these cases from, you know, <laughs> the Dean murder of 1918 to, uh, Brianna Maitland's disappearance or, even um, you know Sheila Shepard, like it never really feels real that there could be a conclusion because it's you know it's you and I talking to people, but when the actual private investigators go silent for a little bit and then they come back with with all of this information, it's incredibly impressive to to feel that uh, that work being done and and then you realize oh my god this is real like there's actual progress being made. Yeah, and and Greg has spoken with Richard, um, tried to get him to uh, to talk, to do an interview. Um, he Greg said didn't go too well. You can kind of see why. Um, but it's not it's not like Greg's got it out for this guy. This guy has lied to Greg, and Greg can prove it. Yeah, there was a there was a video where another reporter, his name is Ash Reardon, and yeah. he did he did an exclusive on this a few months ago, and. He spoke to Richard as well, and he has a little bit of the audio where Richard just says, I already told the police everything I know. I told them everything. Um, I have nothing more to say. And he's got a lawyer, and that's that's where the communication stops with him, which is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, and private investigations for the missing, you know, this nonprofit that is new and not, you know, th- this is the first case that's being worked for um, the nonprofit they are accepting donations, but this is really the service. They aim to provide private investigators for families of missing people. And in in the case of Erica Franelich, her family is all in Michigan. Like they they didn't have the ability to um, put you know press their foot on the gas pedal or uh, or try to in, incite the police or or the media in New York uh, because they lived halfway across the country. 
you know, obviously they did make their way to New York at times. Um, but still that, that makes for an incredible challenge. So here private investigations for the missing steps in and does something that no one has ever done in this case, um, for the Franelich family. And that is, um, make life really miserable for Richard and try to sort of, uh, let him know what, what the reality is because he didn't even know that some of his family have spoken to investigators and said that they believe he is involved in Erica's disappearance. Right. And, and to, to be fair, he hasn't been charged with anything. He hasn't, he's, you know, he's never had an official uh, confession that he then recanted or something. So all of, all of what we're saying about his potential involvement is alleged and it's based on the the work that has been done by the the investigators that were assigned to the case through private investigations for the missing uh and and its conclusions its conclusions that are based on inve- the the investigation so all of this is prefaced with uh with alleged and we don't want to we we certainly don't want to say anything bad about someone who might be innocent but this this gentleman does not seem to be the type of person who uh, has a squeaky clean record anyway. Well, he doesn't have a squeaky clean record. He broke Erica's clavicle, um, and that's that's documented in, in witness statements. He didn't report Erica missing. He never searched for her. No. And he moved out yeah. of the state um, after she went missing. It's, but it is private investigations for the missing in in action. And uh, one thing that we're doing is taking Billy Jensen's uh, approach from his book, Chase Darkness With Me, where he does the uh, geo-targeting of certain locations when he'll um, uh, do uh, pay for Facebook ads. So that is one thing we're trying to do to um, just make sure the people in the community where Richard lives now are aware of what this guy's background is. Are you talking about Billy, Big Time Billy? Yeah, the Billy Jensen. Yeah, the, the Billy Jensen. Now, yeah, <laughs> he has a he has a few outstanding text messages to return. Oh, he re- he wrote back to me on on Instagram recently. No, he d- no he did. Yeah, he did. No. Actually, unsolicited, no. he wrote to me. He did. I can show no, you the screenshot. I want to see. A, I want to see a screenshot. But your your point don't, is don't is that uh, that a best selling author? No, I'm not. You know. I'm not. Oh, hold on. Art Art Roderick just texted me. Uh, we were going to get together, but he's, um, he's self-isolating. Oh yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Makes yeah. sense. Smart man. He, yeah. Yeah. He has, he has another, uh, us Marshall pin for me. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I gotta, I'll just text him real quick back. Him <laughs> okay. You do that. Live thing. You do okay. that Lance. Um, so, okay. So we just wanted to make sure everyone listens to those two episodes that we do think they are some of the better, uh, better episodes that I think we've ever produced. And again, I think it's, it's definitely a turning point for this nonprofit that we've been on the board of for a year or so now. And, um, you know, again, this is put into motion. Now this nonprofit is reality and what it's doing is, uh, having real world implications. And it's, um, I, I frankly think it's quite remarkable. No, you're right. It is really remarkable. It is a it is a new uh, organization. 
we've been on it for just a short period of time in the grand scheme of things. Uh, nothing really happens overnight with anything that's going to be successful, especially if you're trying to raise money for something that is uh, is unique like this. It's not anything that is revolutionary in the world of biotech or or you know computer technology or anything it's more of a social uh it's more of a social uh, organization where it's bringing individuals and families uh closure it's helping law enforcement as well it's it's helping clear those cases and it's going to take a lot of time to build the network and build the budgets and and um and make this into something that is uh you know like a like a namus namus started off pretty small and it took years to get that rolling so this is the step. This is a step in the right direction. It's a necessary step in the right direction. And again, the case is solvable. And it would be great to see something that's over thirty years old be put to bed. Yeah, the case is solvable. We know that some of his family has talked. We know that there are rumors about where Erica's body may be. Some of those people who have talked might have more intimate knowledge. And really, all it takes is a phone call to the New York State Police, and maybe just go with them and. Point to an area, and if that's the right area, bingo. So, Lance, um, this is our special live gossip pod. We are going to put some of this audio on the podcast feed, the Crawl Space podcast feed, this weekend. One of the things we also wanted to do, we well, we want to do this weekly if we can. It's um, It may prove to be a lot of work, so maybe we'll do it bi-weekly, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but one thing we what want else to are do... We doing? <laughs> well, one thing we want to do is a uh, a network spotlight. And this week we want to spotlight the podcast Murder Was the Case with our friend Dr. Lee Meller. And um it's a great episode that he does. He does a dive bar with uh, a fellow named Dr. David Holmes. And Lance, I know you love any doctor with a British accent. And that's what we got here with uh, with Dr. Lee Meller's episode. And uh, it is it is a clip that we're going to play. It is a clip about this fellow named Ian Brady. And uh, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, uh, between July 63 and October 65, in and around Manchester, England, um, they carried out some murders known as the Moores Murders. And, uh, and so Dr. Lee discusses this on his podcast, and we will play a clip at the end of this episode. But Lance, can you tell us what else is going on with the Crawl Space Network? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, go to uh, crawlspace-media.com and check out the shows that we have on the network. Uh, we're, we're, we seem to get a new one every, every couple of weeks, and, and basically what we, we do is uh, support each other. It's a support system, whether it's tech support or um, promotional support, uh, get, get each other on each other's shows. And we want to do this uh, network spotlight where we take one of the shows that's on the network and we feature it. We just, we just added uh, a few new shows. Um, there's one, uh, Believe It or Don't. That is uh, with our friends Kristen and Caleb, and it's a pop culture type show where they discuss uh, pop culture and and um, sort of the things that you grew up on if you grew up in the '90s, you know, late '80s, '90s, and they have guests on, they have friends on. Uh, check that out; it's great. Uh, Escape Hate is a new one that's from Nama Kate's, and it's a bi-weekly podcast that tackles division and hate 
and she uh, started off by doing the incel project, which is trying to understand uh, the frustrated young men who who believe that they are involuntary celibates. And she connected with a group called Light Upon Light, and they're a grassroots anti-hate movement. And in the episode, she uh, she interviews a couple of guests and who have opposing perspectives on uh, on a number of topics, uh, anything that's uh, polarizing, uh, hate, extremism, stuff like that. And uh, and and that's the um, premise of that show, which is another pretty cool social experiment that Nama's taken on. Ah, let's see. Scrolling through our website right now. <laughs> well, mind over murder. So many. Um, yeah, Bill Thomas had an FBI profiler on recently. Um, his show, Mind Over Murder. So check that out. We should play a clip from that maybe next week. That is uh, that is some really informative stuff. Oh, look, Esther Hilton is in the chat room. She says, Lance, oh, hey, I'm obsessed Esther. with your pen. My, my pen? Yeah. Oh, it's a crawl and, space pen. <laughs> and um, Jason Watts is also in the chat room. What's up, Jason? He, he says, uh, you're hell-bent on that pin, that U.S. Marshall pin, aren't you? Oh, like I want to complete the collection because Art's already <laughs> given me five, and in order to get the full U.S. Marshall collection uh, complete, uh, you need the the the, the half dozen. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, well, you wouldn't know. He doesn't really. Um, he doesn't really. Uh, he... Offline, we can talk about how you you offended him during the shooting of uh, the disappearance <laughs> of Norma. <Marley. laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We do have a number of very fine items uh, that bear the Crawl Space logo on the Zazzle store. So go to crawlspace-media.com and go to the store, and you'll see the uh, the collection we have. I want to say we haven't even promoted our Gossip Pod t-shirts. I know. Where Check Go to out. the Zazzle store, grab yourself a Gossip Pod t-shirt. You know where 100% of the profits go when you buy a Gossip Pod t-shirt? To our filthy pockets. To our filthy, filthy bank accounts. No. To the aforementioned private investigations for the missing. Oh, well, that's amazing. Look at us being magnanimous. Being being magnanimous and doing God's work. (laughs) So, yeah, contribute to contribute. uh, Get yourself a cool shirt that says Gossip Pod with two handsome men on it. And uh, yeah, and and the, the profits go to a good cause. Okay, Lance, um, one other thing. I wanted to read a comment here from our friend, uh, shout out Susan, um, on Twitter, Mojo Susan. She mentioned the connection between Richard Franilich having moved to right around the area of Vermont where Brianna Maitland went missing. And she says that's such a shocking coincidence. And uh, do you know if they knew of the connection when they chose the case? Um, and that is that is a no. Those guys did not. Did not they were, uh, no, yeah, shocked. They were shocked, and she also wanted to know if uh, there was uh, any um, uh, alibi. Did they find an alibi for the husband and son for when Brianna disappeared? And I don't, 
I don't think that was even like a thought. I don't I, like there was no reason to. So I don't think that was even looked into. Yeah, no, they did not know, but it was it was quite shocking when they found out. Um, and I do think it's just a coincidence, but we don't know. And Sarah Turney is in the chat room. How's it going, Sarah Turney? What's up, Sarah? We gotta we gotta expand this gossip pod live show universe. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we we didn't uh, plan this one is because it took us about a half an hour to get up and running. Um, be technically speaking. So it, it would have been nice to just say, Hey, we're doing this at three, but we would have ended up being a half an hour late. Um, so, <laughs> so Sarah, we would love to get you on one of these anytime we can. And Esther, we, uh, we need to get you on Patreon too soon. Um, because we really, really got to hear your story. We know you're, uh, you're a healthcare worker, um, in, in fighting the battle right now. Um, so that is interesting. But on top of, you know, the the depressing concerns in the world, uh, we really want to talk about all the, the memes you make um, about crawl space and uh, just <laughs> <laughs> kind of want to, you know, go over that mostly. Yeah, the, the memes are brilliant. And it really when whenever something is getting like super serious and, you know, starting to get to me and anything really. It's like uh, it's like these th- it'll pop up. I'll see the uh, the notification and it's just like a work. It's just it's just fire. She just brings fire to the whole thing. And it's it's super fun to read. I want to before we go, uh, I want to continue with a couple of shows that are on the network. We have an announcement of a new show that is uh, going to be on the network. And uh, I want to uh, just do a quick highlight of the uh, fictional podcast. We have Pi Rational Stories couple of seasons in the can already we have a uh, lotus which was narrated by gabber zachman and we have the bathtub which was narrated by neil helligers and season three is called the mask and that is going to be narrated w- by christopher garitano and another uh, recommendation from gabber zachman her name is eileen stevens and she's a fine narr- narrating actress narrative actress she's a fine narrator and uh yeah christopher garitano did a uh, spectacular job on his half and it's a very timely story as well so check out those uh those two seasons oh yeah and james renner did a um did what we're calling an interlude which is uh just a one-off story it's called palindrome and i want to say uh the the new um the new show that we're getting on the network yes New show on the network is called Even the Podcast is Afraid. And this is a uh, a show, it's uh, describing itself as real-life horror stories, true crime, the paranormal, the unexplained. It's got a lighter attitude than normal paranoia, uh, par- paranormal shows. Uh, it's hosted by Jared Ortis. It's hosted by him. He's the creator, the founder. And his co-hosts are Nick Porchetta and Samantha Vasquez. And you can subscribe to them anywhere you can subscribe to podcasts and uh, follow them on Twitter at Podcast Afraid. And we'll uh, we'll have an interview with Jared coming out soon. But it's a uh, it's a fun show and three really fun people who uh, who are at the helm of that. Absolutely. So welcome aboard to the podcast network, the Crawl Space Network. Um, yeah, it'll be uh, it'd be great to have you. And we have an interview with uh, Jared coming soon to Crawl Space. And uh, and let's do this this gossip pod and let's get a guest next time and uh, let's 
Uh, make sure there's no technical difficulties. We'll schedule it so there's more people in the chat room. Right at the last minute, we were trying to pivot to YouTube, whatever was easier. And, uh, you know, I really blame John Lorden for all this. Yeah. I I feel like it's his fault, even though he helped us with this, uh, getting getting this set up in the first place. That, that's why I blame him. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he did this right the first time. And now we wanted to do it again. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's that's a typical John Lorden move. Yeah, Where he'll 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 graciously provide you with with product X or or his knowledge or something. Yeah, and then he'll leave out like the the little details where you know, oh, it worked on my end. I don't know why it didn't work oh. on your end. Yeah, did you? Oh. I mean, my video is sparkling clear. What what about yours? Yours seems a little grainy. Yeah, my. My my lighting is perfect. I you know you maybe want to get a couple of LEDs in there or something. <laughs> Chris Duet, Chris Duet in the chat room says John Lord will piss on both of your graves. <laughs> and Chris Duet, of course, of uh, Criminal Perspective, him and yes. uh, Andrew Dodge, excellent show. Speaking of dragon podcasters, we could really drag them right now. We drag Criminal Perspective. Nah, I don't really have anything. <laughs> I don't, and it, it was really—it's really hard for me to make fun of John Lorden because he—he he really is a nice guy. He really uh, does go out of his way. I—I'm convinced he's a robot. I don't know. I've never heard him flub a line, and he knows like all this IT stuff. He knows how to get you streaming live from two locations using OBS and uh, streaming right to Facebook. I just—it doesn't wash with me. <laughs> it doesn't wash. <laughs> Oh, I'll I'll be uh you did his uh, game time last week, right? I on did. Saturday? I did. You're doing it this week? I'm doing it this week. Yeah, I was not okay. able to do it last week and uh I literally begged him to do it. Like I I was begging and begging and I think I think I just got caught up in the reply alls. So, I think I just by default he <laughs> he replied all and I was included in that. And uh and he begrudgingly invited me to take mm. part in it this uh this Saturday. So, uh yeah, I think the game time is um, 7.30 p.m. Central time. Who the hell goes by Central time? Yeah, John I know, Lord? right? Like, the, yeah. It, yeah, so that's 8.30 to everybody the, else. Yeah, the world revolves around John Lorden of Brain Scratch and Crime yeah. After Crime. <laughs> <laughs> he is handsome, though. Uh, flub a line, for Christ's sake, John Lorden. Show me you're not a robot. <laughs> All right. This was this was. He's the kind of, of guy who goes into a job interview, and they're like, "What's your what's your what's your biggest fault?" And he's like, "Well, I just work too hard." <laughs> and they're like, "You're hired." Some people tell me I, I'm a workaholic. Well, make sure you tell John Lorden that I don't appreciate his shit. I think you just told him. <laughs> no, I of think course that was we it, love John. Um, and but this is the gossip pod. What are we supposed to do? Not drag uh, our friends? Yeah. We got to gossip. Look. Yeah. We're gossiping. <laughs> on, on uh, all right. Well, Christina Bozonski in the chat room. How's it going, Christina? She says, you, you two are killing me. Thanks for the laugh. Well, thank you, Christina, for tuning in. Okay, everybody. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap up this gossip pod for now, and uh, we will be back next week. And hopefully, again, we'll, we'll be able to schedule this, and we'll have a guest next week. Maybe we'll go longer. Um, and hopefully we, we don't have any technical difficulties. It's always, it's always a goddamn roller coaster doing live shows. I swear to God. Yeah, but it's fun. It's a, it's a fun roller coaster. Everybody stay healthy, stay inside. Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody. We really appreciate you listening and check out those Erica Franelich episodes and check out all the shows on the crawlspace network at crawlspace-media.com.
Okay, and here is the clip from Dr. Lee Meller's Murder Was the Case. Subscribe now in the show notes. So this is the environment that Ian Brady is born into. He's born into the Gorbals in Glasgow, the Bronx of Glasgow in 1938. Do you want to talk about some of the circumstances of his birth and his early life? His father was really never known. His mother was not particularly the most maternal person. She sort of became pregnant. Uh, she was um, she's working as a waitress, something like that, I think, and obviously just became pregnant and was pretty much incapable of bringing up a child with low-grade jobs and the, the kind of lifestyle she had, it didn't really fit with. So you could say he'd been rejected, you know, he had no genuine proper father figure um she was unwed but, when he was born. yeah yeah yes, so there's there that, no, that stigma too yeah, no right? question of and in those days it was quite tricky but yeah. i think you could also kind of look at it in a different way in one way yeah he was kind of rejected and he was moved off into fostering at the age of two but he was also rejected to some degree he wasn't particularly wanted mm. and he may have been, even as a tiny infant at the age of two, which does happen, a fairly obnoxious kind of fledgling psychopath that even a good mother would struggle with. Yeah, there's that Rousseauian vision of the world where every mm. person is born this nice, lovely yeah, person, and then yeah. society destroys them. But anyone that yeah. holds that belief, just really think it through. Were there certain kids or people that you met in your life where you just were like, I can't socialize with this person. Yes. I've got to get them out of my experience. That's they the are truth different of it. from me. Yeah. And I'll add another layer to this. And this may be a little controversial, but you've got a father that doesn't stick around. Yep. You've got a mother that doesn't raise her child. And that's complicated. But I would say that if we're just looking statistically, that probably makes it more likely that there are psychopathic genes running through one or more yes. of that bloodline. and the, that's the, where you These get are into... not the best of parents anyway, mm. and their genetic inheritance is probably going to have some bad stuff in it, if you like. And we clearly know that Brady did inherit quite hefty uh, levels of psychopathy. So, we, you know, it's a fair assumption to say that he may have been as difficult a child, even at the age of two, as they were not particularly good parents or she was not a particularly good parent as he was never on the scene anyway really mm-hmm. so he didn't have a very good biological start to life we know this mm-hmm. and then when he's a kid there was a lot of talk about as you said he, yeah. he wasn't just rejected by his parents he was rejected by his peers and yes. the way i've heard it described really well is a psychopath is always playing the immediate game mm. so Let's take it to a football match, soccer match for, you know, um, North American listeners. They're always just looking at that one match. And if, you know, they're going to cheat and they're going to whine and they're going to try and bend the rules and cry and not probably literally cry, but they're going to stomp and protest if things don't go their way because they're always looking at the short term gain. Exactly. The problem with doing that is that then nobody wants to play with you anymore. 
And so you don't get invited to play anymore. And you're not really a team player anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then you're like, well, why am I ostracized? Why am I not being invited to the games? And, you know, there is a kind of concrete example of how that inherent disposition of being that disagreeable and that narcissistic and self-centered can just play out in making people not want Want to to socialize. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite tricky because most people, as you say, have this sort of wonderful idea that, you know, every child is born, you know, as a complete innocent and is corrupted by. Um, But these people are actually out there with this kind of unexploded bomb. And the features that we're talking about are not like two heads and, you know, big hairy arms or anything. This this is just a kind of fractional part of their personality Mm -hmm. in that they have no empathy, a very narcissistic view of life, as you say, short-term gains and no vision of the future whatsoever because uh, they don't really care. And although, you know, if you're talking to someone like that briefly, you don't particularly detect it. Mm-hmm. But as you know them over a short period, you begin to see, oh, no, it doesn't, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't do that. It becomes a disconnect that increasingly makes it difficult for anybody to have any kind of allegiance with them whatsoever or be on their side. And if you like, it means they're going to have to be loners Mm -hmm. in life unless they can actually either find somebody with a kindred spirit or they actually manage to indoctrinate somebody into being someone who they kind of rule over, their personality rules over, And oddly enough, of course, that's what happened with Brady. Let's get from where we are now, uh, bastard born into the Gorbals, fostered out at age two. Let's proceed through what we know about his childhood, the little... Delinquency. uh, Delinquency, uh, hurting animals, I believe. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of trying to cover up what he actually did. People would say, oh, well, where's the evidence that he harmed animals? Uh, Well, there was a lot of people that, you know, described... Uh, actual acts the, the the bit with the cat where he had a cat down a, a hole put a rock over it and basically just went back every now and then to check how dead the cat was you know mm-hmm. um just watch it, it decay. starve to death this yes what would starve and then die and then come back and watch it decompose yeah this is completely unempathic approach to others with the curiosity and what have you is it doesn't mean to say you're stupid it just means to say that your ambitions and your pleasures are gained in a way that other people would never dream of so brady he's definitely got i would say pedophilic interests now whether Mm. those are preferential or just in addition i think yeah yeah so he's sexually interested in kids but do you think that he would prefer that, or do you think that that was just something that, ah, I'll take it? He was kind of indifferent to how he got his pleasures. He knew what he wanted, but I think there was this major element of sadism. He was, all the way from the cat and other things like that, right through to kind of the, the elements of bullying, capture, and wreaking sadism and, and what have you. He was essentially a coward. He would mm-hmm. never stand up to another man. He was brought up without really much paternal interest, you know. But he was somebody who would enjoy being able to totally dominate someone, as he later did it with Hindley. I would imagine 
that as a kind of school child or a school chum or anything like that, he would be a horror because, you know, he would never help to defend you against the big bullies or anything, but he'd be there, you know, sort of bullying somebody smaller. And, mm-hmm. of course, essentially, paedophilia has that element of picking on someone who is easily coerced, bullied, threatened into sexual acts, above and beyond any predilections, any kind of attraction. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. So the sadism is the dominant sexual drive. Yeah. And so that's seeing, once again, for all of you, if you haven't memorized it by now, pain, fear, humiliation in another person. And the fact that it's a child, probably it becomes pathological at some point. Yeah. But it starts with the idea that it's just easier to dominate someone who's smaller than you. And when you think of who you're competing with in the Gorbals in Glasgow, good luck pulling that shit, right? That's like the sadist big leagues there. (laughs) Not a sexual sadist big leagues, but but violence violence and cruelty. So I'm just trying to get at how this develops in him. So are we safe to say that you think that he's ostracized and... He's growing up in an environment where he wants to impose his will, but he can't because Mm. everyone around him is tougher than he is, tougher than he is, and more socially capable than he is. So they're in gangs and they have friends. And so he retreats into a world where he dominates smaller things, be they children or cats, and that turns into pedophilic sexual sadism. Yes, absolutely. He's somebody who also kind of like has this ability to um, have a vision which made him even more dangerous, really, mm. is that he didn't have the power to oppose you know, the big guys or mm. his equals. There was no chance of that. He was essentially a coward. And in order to do that, he, he started to fantasize. Mm-hmm. And he kind of fantasized himself as being this commander with lots and lots of people, but not, not as mates or not as gang members, but as complete subservient you know, he was going to be the boss. They were going to be the first lieutenant. or And it became kind of very army, kind of structured with this kind of top-down fear-driven. And he obviously, you know, he could match that onto the Nazi empires because it fitted exactly with what he wanted, that jackboot sadism, but as a kind of philosophy for life and as a means of getting other people to work for him and do his dirty work for him, and make him invulnerable to real bullies, you know, Mm -hmm. who could put him down very easily. Yeah, so this is all just occurring in his mind. This is Mm. something that's going to one day happen, and if things go ideally, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned this sort of attraction to Nazism. This was a pronounced theme throughout his life mm. i mean we'll get to it later but he even drank german wine for instance yeah. you know <laughs> i don't imagine german wine in the 1960s was particularly stand out but it no. was just this idea of all things germanic and yeah it's it's not far removed from kids who are you know not particularly well endowed for fighting and things you mm. know putting on a batman outfit or superman outfit and all of a sudden yeah yeah i can take on anybody you know and him drinking German wine, it's not that far removed from that. It was really kind of dumb idea that if I'm building myself as this kind of image of a Hitler or something, that I would have that power instantly. I've got the badge, I've got the outfit, you know, <laughs> therefore I can do this. It was a dumb idea, but when it came to involving other people, then it became really dangerous. 
it's interesting that you find a lot of Nazi or white supremacist beliefs in people that have these physical deficits. So a Ooh. good example is Eric Harris, one of the Columbine shooters. Yes. He really wanted to join. And I think underneath it, I'll, you know, probably Brady did want to as well. I think yeah. that's everyone's initial impulse is wanting to join the mainstream, even though people will, at the end of the day, rebut that. Everyone at first tries to. And the thing with Eric Harris is he had this concave chest, you know, right. this the, yes. what, the pigeon chest, I think yeah. they call it. And it put him at a disadvantage socially, uh, athletically. Of yeah. course, that's a big thing in America. And so then, well, how can I make myself superior? Well, being exactly. white's a good start. Yeah. And also being smarter than all these other imbeciles who just buy into this. Yeah. And you've got people from different generations who commit very different types of murders. But in that way, they're There's similar. There's a similarity, yeah. There's in a similarity. The, it's in a coward that wants to overcome it and be supreme. And then they start becoming to think that there is actually are supreme and superior to other people, where it actually, if nothing gets in the way, you know, becomes incredibly dangerous, as it did with Harris, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that Brady, he's a psychopath, but with like a narcissistic element too, mm. where he has this inferiority. He knows he's a coward, but tries to deny it, yeah. Yeah, yeah he can't stand up to the gang members in the Gorbals or like the other groups of boys, yeah. but in his fantasy land, he's going to be like, didn't he have this Bonnie and Clyde sort of thing going on where he wanted to be almost like an American gangster, Jimmy Cagney sort of thing. He, he tended to align himself with almost anybody who symbolized power over others, particularly if it was by violence and, and oppression and, and being particularly cold-blooded and nasty that was his kind of image and he, he never really would ever consider the idea of gaining power by say being a good politician or you know working his way up in a business this this was not an option yeah, soft it power. had to be this kind of anti-hero anti-establishment type figure and i would imagine he flipped through quite a few but i think the whole idea of the rise of the third reich and how it worked, how it functioned, the authoritarianism, mm -hmm. and how you actually instill fear in other people and get them to do what you want, that was the bit that he carried forward. That principle was how he began to operate, and starting with Hindley, because she was an easy target. Also, he was a big admirer of the writings of the Marquis de Sade. Yes. Right, which is... Interesting, because the Marquis de Sade was sort of libertine in his time, so politically non-authoritarian, but yeah. in his sexual practices, it extremely, all came out. Yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> sadism is literally named after the yeah, Marquis de Sade. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this this is all making a lot of sense here. So we've got Ian. I think we've established where he is in the the Gorbals. He's being fostered out. Do we know anything about his relationship with his foster family? It was rough because of the delinquency and what have you. I think they were beginning to think it's not a good one, this one. We, you know, we mm -hmm. probably picked the bad one. And there was that kind of element whereby he eventually ended up in a Glasgow court and they said, right, and passed it on social service. It all agreed that he goes back to his mother, which I think just simply meant that Glasgow didn't want this problem and they didn't want to deal with this problem because he was already fostered out, you know. And his mother lived in Manchester at the time, which was very convenient for Glasgow because it meant they just dumped him on another city. 
So she had literally moved away from her son at that point. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, And uh, by now she's Mrs. Brady. She's married to Mr. Brady. Hence the change of name. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Mr. Brady. He probably thought, oh, I'll do all right by this kid. Maybe I'll change him. I'll give him my last name. (laughs) No, no. no. He was pretty much hardened by then, I think. And he was was going to be a problem no matter where he went. (laughs) 